Spark Media presents Cosmic Creatures by Jason Kent Nord. Performed for you by Adam Anagnostu, Mike Kelly, John Yonker, and Luke Langfeld. Sound designed by Dan Steffens. This episode contains content that may be alarming to some listeners. Please check the episode notes for more detailed descriptions. And now, Episode 5, Gravitons. Officer Lutz places the final stone that we gathered on the remains of the poor duck creature. He didn't want a coyote or anything else to come along and eat it or drag it away before he could come back with the team to collect it. Throughout the process of collecting the rocks, Fitch bombarded us with questions, and Nick had to explain what happened a couple of times. They looked at me for explanations a few times, but I said nothing. Thankfully, Ellie told them to just leave me alone. She seems to have a motherly instinct when it comes to me. Well, great. I'm officially her charity case now. What are you doing out here anyway? Ellie asks Fitch, changing the subject. Aren't you supposed to be in school? Aren't you supposed to be in school? Fitch rebuts. My mom got called in to work a double, he replies. No ride. Nick told me once that Fitch has a single mom who normally works evenings and Saturdays so Fitch doesn't see her much. Nick's met her a few times and said she seemed eager to get Fitch out of the house and out of her hair. I mean, yeah, I get it. Let's go, Officer Lutz says. This way, Nick replies. He leads the way, followed by Officer Lutz and Fitch, while Ellie and I take up the rear. Fitch resumes his babbling. What if these things have alien boogers and germs and I get some cosmic flu and die? That would be a shame, Nick replies wearily. I'm serious. I could die now. What if everyone dies? Fitch says. What if we turn into zombies and shit? He adds excitedly. Then we'd be zombies with empty bowels, Nick deadpans. What's your problem, dude? Fitch complains. Look. Nick replies with a limp, placating gesture. I don't know about germs and stuff, but there's nothing I can do about it. Maybe they just die, like in, uh, uh, War of the Worlds. I'm a little bit more concerned about getting eaten first. Or about Dad getting... A blood-curdling scream cuts him off. We all flinch so hard that we reel back off the faint path. It was a creature, not human. And it came from very close by, off to the right. We freeze, terrified to move or utter the quietest word. My heart races, and my eyes and ears strain to pick up more information about this threat. All I can hear is my heart beating and blood pulsing. It's so loud I fear it's calling attention. I realize I've halted breathing, but breathing doesn't seem as important as staying quiet. Bushes shake wildly a mere ten yards away. They aren't small shrubs, either, but large ones. Either Bigfoot has found our woods, or it's one of the creatures. For once, the alien possibility is more the probable. Officer Lutz aims his gun at the rustling bushes. There's a small click as he disengages the safety. He starts circling to his right for a clear sight line. Without making a sound, he stealthily steps past twigs and the small brush at our feet. 
He spaces himself a good twelve to fifteen feet from us before stopping and waiting, gun still pointed. I can't swallow. I've never been more terrified in my life. Officer Lutz is our sole defender from who knows what. The fear I feel for all of us prevents me from thinking too hard about how Ellie and I have gravitated together, and how we are clutching each other without averting our eyes from the bushes. I only briefly wonder if she is supposed to be protecting me, or, or if I'm supposed to be protecting her. The sound of something breaking through the tree limbs in our general direction is followed by a very heavy thud as a bowling ball-sized stone comes to rest just a yard away from me and Ellie. We both jump back. Officer Lutz spins towards us and looks down at the hefty stone, frowning. We all share a, what the hell, look for a moment. I see the realization of the diversion wash over Officer Lutz at the same time I sense the moving shadow and hear Ellie inhaled scream. Officer Lutz swivels back around to face the ensuing ambush. A creature with the body of a monkey and eight lashing arms like an octopus is descending onto Officer Lutz, lashing violently. He collapses under its weight with a grunt and rolls. The octomonkey tumbles off, furious. The carnage is short-lived, but severe. Already, Officer Lutz's shirt is torn and bloodied. He reaches out to take aim with his gun again, but his hand and focus are unsteady. He doesn't seem to raise his arm enough. The creature is back on him in a blink, horrifically ravaging away with multiple limbs. Officer Lutz, on his back, manages to squeeze off two point-blank shots. The creature reels back with a snarl that sends shivers through my bones. It's momentarily stunned, but still alive. I squeeze Ellie's arm more tightly and pull us back a few steps. Officer Lutz's arm flops to his side and the gun drops free. He's gravely injured and clearly out of the fight. The Octo Monkey uses three of its arms to inspect two orange oozing wounds in its torso, while three more support its weight, and the remaining two flail wildly in pain, anger, or maybe both. I stare at it in terror. It's clear that it has plenty of vigor remaining. My vision is going a little blurry. The realization hits me. This might be the end for all of us. It could truly be it. The weight of that possibility hangs heavy. This doom that I've unleashed causes my chest to tighten, and my breathing becomes a struggle, constricting tighter and tighter with every inhale, as if the very air is slipping away. Movement in my periphery catches my attention. Nick is racing towards Officer Lutz, and he slides like he's taken second base. He swoops down his hands to retrieve the dropped handgun. The beast notices him. It targets him and lunges. Nick! Ellie screams, unconsciously leaning toward him. <laughs> Nick fires, and the creature collapses inches short as he recoils and frantically scurries from the terrifying beast. I pull Ellie back, maintaining our distance. Octo Monkey is still moving and trying to engage Nick, but it's struggling. Nick, despite his undeniable courage, visibly trembles as he pulls himself unsteadily to his feet. He trains the handgun at the creature. Watching the unbalanced Octo Monkey move slowly toward Nick, I don't know if another powerful blast is necessary, or if the thing will succumb. 
Nick takes slow steps backward as the creature inches toward him. Shoot it! yells Fitch. Before Nick can, his heel catches a root and he trips backwards. The gun flings away into some leaves as he falls to the ground. Perhaps sensing an opportunity, the Octomonkey summons its remaining strength and struggles to its many feet, gazing intently on Nick. Nick reaches blindly with his hand, swiping through the leaves to locate the weapon. He gives up once it becomes imperative to crawl out of the creature's advancing reach. As I remain frozen and transfixed, Ellie pulls away from me, reaches down and jumps into the fray with a heavy branch, nearly as long as she is tall. With impressive strength, she wields the branch up high above her head and brings it swinging down. The forceful strike splits the rotting wood into pieces across the creature's head. The beast crumples to the ground. Ellie regathers the remaining three-foot length branch and plunges it into the beast's largest wound, sending a good measure of orange goo spurting. She pulls it out for another plunge, but stops short. The damage is enough. With the pool of gooey blood spilling from its wound, the octomonkey twitches a few times before finally lying completely motionless. Ellie stands over it, panting, the branch still clutched in her right hand. Nick climbs to his feet and finally locates the gun. He eyes the creature warily, seeming to debate one final shot just to be extra sure it's dead, but ultimately holds off. We all stand there in silent shock. Our attention toward the dead creature lasts long enough to know that the battle has finished. I turn my gaze to Officer Lutz, and a surge of guilt courses through me, propelling me to rush to his side. As I kneel by his side, a chilling realization washes over me. He isn't stirring. His chest isn't moving. I desperately search for a pulse or for a breath that's nowhere to be found. There's nothing to be done for him. The horror sets in. Officer Lutz. <laughs> Officer Lutz is... He's dead. Officer Lutz is dead. This man is dead. Because of me. I'm shaking. The others slowly drift to my side. Ellie's still dragging her branch. Nick still holding Officer Lutz's gun. Is he... Nick mutters, leaving the question unfinished. Oh, God. Ellie exhales, her hand instinctively covering her mouth in horror. The gravity of this casualty is profound. My eyes grow wet with tears and the surroundings blur as I glance around the aftermath. Seeing their faces, Nick's, Ellie's, Fitch's. There's no telling what they are thinking. I would understand if they chose now to desert me. I, I want to leave me. Why is this happening? A tear swells and drips from my eye as I look back down at Officer Lutz, but it's not my tear that descends upon his body. Something else has snipped down and pierced his chest with a dreadful thump. I jump backwards, falling hard on my wrists. Looking back, I see there lodged in Officer Lutz's body a gangly, sleek, living dart with leathery skin. Oh, shit! exclaims Fitch, putting all of our startled gasps into words. The black creature unfurls like an oddly shaped umbrella, revealing itself to be a slight, crazy winged creature. It pumps its body like a bellows, using its needle-nosed beak to suck 
fill and expand itself with blood from Officer Lutz's body. Oh my god! Fitch exclaims as he reels back, gagging and nauseous. Nick raises the handgun, aims, and... He tries again. Fuck! He whispers. With no bullets left to save us, we all scatter back. All of us, except Ellie. Who gathers up her branch and with determination, glowing in her eyes, swings hard. The creature splits open like a popped balloon and a plume of blood sprays everywhere. Droplets splatter across my face, and I immediately wipe at them. Oh, God! Fitch manages before spitting away and puking. He hugs a tree trunk to steady himself, as his whimpers turn to sobs. Poor Ellie is covered in blood. She drops the blood-soaked branch and starts moaning with low horror. As she wipes at her eyes, it turns into squeamish whimpering, and at last... She succumbs to tears, fully crying as the reality of what's just happened sinks into us all. Nick can't even move. He just stares at the remains of Officer Lutz and the foul creature. His face is impassive, as if he's completely shut down. The handgun drops from his hand onto the forest floor, empty and useless. Just like I feel. The radio crackles. Everyone is too numb to react. All units report in, commands whoever is on the other end. Report all kills and captures. Unit 3, identifies another voice on the radio. Exhibit 32, kill. Negative captures. Nick slowly lumbers forward, reaches down over Officer Lutz, and pulls out the folded bioscan printout protruding from a pocket. He also removes the radio from Officer Lutz's belt. Wiping the blood from the radio as best he can... Nick mutely offers the sheets and radio to Ellie, but she just shakes her head. Unit 2, responds another voice. Negative kills, negative captures. Fitch rejoins our tightening circle. Nick offers him the sheets and radio. Fitch, still a little green, further clenches his posture. Nuh-uh, not me, he moans. Unit 5, that's a negative on both here. Nick stops in front of me, holding out the sheets and radio. Unit 4. One kill of the Exhibit 9-12 to 12 group. Negative captures. I shake my head. Nick's blank stare insists, and he holds them out so they're touching my chest. We're locked in a contest of blank stares. Unit 1, come in, calls out the original voice. Unit 1? It's my fault, I remind myself. And so I relent and take both the papers and the radio. Nick releases them and turns away, sliding his hands into his pockets as he stares at the ground. Unit 1, come in! Unit 1! I drop to my knees and sift through the pages, looking for our encounters. Unit 1, are you there? Unit 1? I grab up the radio in one hand, still fumbling through the pages with the other. Uh, Unit 1, I begin. Uh, exhibit... Where are they? Here's one. That duck devil. Uh, exhibit number 21. Uh, here's the octomonkey. Exhibit number 27. And, uh... And the creature that impaled Lutz is both 36 and 37. Oh god. That means there's another one out here somewhere. Exhibit number 36. I gulp hard. And... 
Uh, Officer Lutz. They're all dead. Word came through that a private research facility located six miles outside of Portman, a small city in central Washington, conducted some kind of experiment that somehow resulted in some alien animals being zapped into their facility. They specifically deny the presence of any humanoid or intelligent contact, but apparently a bunch got out and into the surrounding valley. So now, it's our problem. Colonel Harstad will land there, a place called Quantum Labs, and get to the bottom of this nonsense. A hundred bucks says he'll find out that some simple gas leak made a bunch of scientists hallucinate, and I'll be home in my own bed tonight. The thought of Colonel Harstad putting the clamps on a bunch of whacked-out pencil necks makes me grin. Staring out the chopper's windows, I take in the heavily wooded terrain. The lack of ground visibility complicates matters. Satellites will have to feed us infrared images. The hope is that the body temperatures of any supposed creatures are sufficiently variant from the surrounding environment. If not, we're basically blind, and the options go down in number and up in severity. Sorties could drop payloads on the red zone in as little as an hour if necessary. But the highest probability is for fireworks by morning. My training is really kicking in. I can't help but stay focused in case the circus really is in town. While I have serious doubts about the intel we are acting on, if there is indeed some biological threat, alien or otherwise, the cold, hard reality is that we are prepared to make certain the death toll is limited to 5,000 or 25,000, not millions or billions. Presidential authorization for those kind of casualties will be sought, but we've attained advanced orders for all number of scenarios, some of which require asking for forgiveness rather than permission. We'll have to gauge the threat on the ground as quickly as we can and react accordingly. No time for bleeding heart assurances. But who am I kidding? Alien animals? Not likely. There it is. Quantum Labs. As planned, four choppers break formation and descend. Give them hell, Colonel. This chopper will be arriving at Portman in a minute and setting down right on the road. I secretly hope for an audience. I want to see some shitting of bricks so I can laugh about it over a celebratory beer when we're done this evening. We always get big eyes when we run training exercises, but bystanders are always informed about such gigs. Reactions to an unexpected real-world response? It should be a riot. My task is to seal off the road in and out of town and start setting up a quarantine holding area for people coming out of a five-square-mile red zone surrounding the facility. The road network through the red zone is limited to a single winding two-lane highway and a collector road serving a small subdivision of a couple dozen homes. Rural roads are sparse and the nearest paved highways set up a perfect 20-by-30-mile perimeter. Two platoons will drop immediately along points on the perimeter. One dispersed along the east and south, one dispersed along the west and north. A caravan of armored vehicles and two more platoons will arrive within two hours to fully encircle the area. Portman hosts about 5,000 residents and is squarely inside the zone. 
Some smaller towns of a few hundred people flank the perimeter. At the northern end of the valley is Benoit, which has a population of 20,000. It's a little close for comfort at only 15 miles away, but hopefully we can maintain containment on that end and limit collateral damage if this is really legit. All right, men, I call out. Nobody leaves town, period. Anyone trying gets turned back. Everybody else gets detained in their vehicles until the tents are ready. I want them up in under ten minutes. I nod and the guys slide both doors open to a blustery whirlwind. Our chopper carries a large net of gear suspended below. We'll set it down, release the tether, slip forward, and set down. Our pilot is a little aggressive moving in. As he checks up, the heavy load below us swings us a bit off target. Easy, I bark. Sorry, Major Roggy, he replies, and then adjusts smoothly into place. Cut it loose, I order when I feel the load is down. Load is down, tether is down, reports a soldier hanging out the starboard side. We continue a short distance up the road, pivot perpendicular to it, and then drift steadily down to the empty pavement. Damn, no pants to soil. We finally emerge from the dense woods as we reach the Hagen's backyard. We're bloodied, dirty, and in shock. It's a strange relief to be exiting the woods that have always been such a welcome place to me. And it's also strange to be heading toward the wrong house. Clearly my sense of home has suffered a compound fracture, but right now I'm just eager to get inside. Wait for me! yells the straggling Fitch behind us. I wish you would be quiet. We don't need that other vicious flying dart draining any more of our insides. Rather than beelining for the back door, which is always locked, we circle around the side of the attached garage. Guys! Fitch calls out again. Dude, keep it down! Nick admonishes. I closely trail Nick as Ellie jogs ahead of us. Still some 15 yards from the front of the garage, the driveway comes into view. Just when I'm ready to exhale in relief, Nick halts dead in his tracks. I instinctively put on the brakes, flailing a bit to avoid a collision. Nick, what the... I trail off as I quickly see the reason for the sudden stop. There, at the base of the driveway, a stocky brute is parked in the flesh, with a profile oddly reminiscent of an old muscle car. The tailless, cat-like beast fixes its gaze upon us. The hairs on my arms instantly rise. The driveway is fairly long, but maybe not long enough. We are exposed. I immediately study the threat, trying to judge its reactions, intentions, and body language. It appears to be doing the same. Its anatomy is nothing short of startling. Strange, raised hackles adorn its head. Or maybe they're a, a series of ears. They're raised and alert. The creature adjusts, shifting its strong, stout limbs to square up in our direction. Adrenaline floods my body. The muscle cat crouches, ready to pounce. Oh, no, no, no. I scream internally, stuck frozen but quivering as my body debates when to let the flight instinct take over. In my peripheral vision, Ellie completely unaware, is punching away at the garage door control pad. Its motor kicks into gear and the door noisily rises, 
This causes the brute to flinch and reset into its aggressive posture. Come on, guys, let's get... Ellie halts mid-sentence, her words suspended in the air as she notices our alarm. She then follows our gaze and freezes, eyes widening. Fitch waddles up behind us, bent over and panting heavily. I don't know why. He pants. You can't wait up. As he lifts his face, the sight of the creature transforms Fitch into a pouty child, completely devoid of any ability to be silent. Oh, no, no, no. Nice kitty thing, he pleads. Perhaps it's Fitch's apparent vulnerability, or maybe it's the garage door and motor going silent as the door reaches its open position. But something kicks the beast into attack mode. It seems slow at first, its front legs almost stationary while the massive hindquarters patter furiously. Building energy like a muscle car laying down rubber before being let loose. The flight instinct takes over in all of us except Fitch, who remains stuck in disbelief. Nick and I charge toward the open garage door to join Ellie as she swiftly slips inside. Hurry! She screams. Her command seems to spur Fitch. As a glance back reveals, he is shuffling forward as rapidly as is unsteady. Labored gait will allow. Nick and I are quickly in the garage. Nick grasps Ellie to keep her inside, ducking his own head out to call out to Fitch one last time. Move it! He orders like a drill sergeant. I make a beeline for the button on the wall and punch it, reawakening the garage door motor. Nick and Ellie step back, their eyes darting between the advancing beast and the narrowing space where Fitch is expected to appear. The dreadful anticipation intensifies as Fitch's stumbling legs come into view while the muscle cat gracefully charges. The door descends, seemingly too slow to stop the beast and too fast for Fitch. My entire being pleads for physics to work in our favor. Fitch finally dives into the garage under a door that barely allows the space for him. There's a click, followed by a violent rumble of the motor fighting the door's momentum and reversing its direction. The safety beam. Fitch passed through the safety beam. My heightened senses sizzle. And I immediately launch toward the red release knob dangling from the opener above. Without pausing to locate the handle, I leap, somehow hitting the target with precision, and my hand grasps hold of the plastic. I feel it release as my weight descends, breaking it from its firm hold. With desperate hope, I turn to see if it will close in time. But it's just too late. The creature's front paws and head plow forward, and the heavy door drops with a thunderous bang onto the animal's hindquarters, obstructing the remainder of its mass, if only for a moment, from entering. The creature emits a strange squawk of protest, regathers itself, and heaves its body forward repeatedly, causing the garage door to bounce with each jerking motion. Adrenaline still controls me, and I instinctively locate the nearest weapon, a snow shovel hanging on the wall. In a surprisingly graceful motion, I smoothly retrieve the shovel, flip it in the air, secure a batter's grip, and forcefully swing it into the beast's head. The blow lands with a metallic thump, but lacks the necessary force. While the blow momentarily stuns the beast, the shovel's lightweight aluminum lacks enough mass to truly inflict significant damage. The brute shakes off the blow, grows irate, rallies, and surges. I swing again and again, but each subsequent blow has less and less effect, rendering the shovel useless and further infuriating the muscle cat. 
As my adrenaline supply depletes, a sense of fatigue and defeat washes over me. I retreat from the squirming, wriggling beast, but then a sudden rush of movement catches my attention. Nick charges into the fray, wielding an axe raised high above his head. It hovers there for the briefest of moments before Nick brings it hammering down in a blur, yielding a heavy thud and splat. Thick auburn blood surges from the back of the muscle cat's skull. Its weight slumps to the ground and rolls forward enough to allow the garage door to finally drop shut. A sense of uncertainty lingers. It's definitely dead. Right? I hold my breath, as it seems we all do, praying it doesn't move again. Our confidence gradually grows in measure with the lazily expanding pool of blood darkening next to the creature's head. In the dimly lit garage, I finally divert my attention from the beast to my friends. Nick is hyperventilating as he comes down from his own adrenaline burst. Ellie is grasping her head tightly, elbows extended as if trying to stop it from exploding. And Fitch is wheezing and panting, rendered speechless but miraculously in one piece. Exhausted and devoid of energy, I find myself unable to keep my emotions at bay. They surge forth like a tidal wave. Depression and self-loathing rush to the fore as I'm expelled from the reprieve that the terror had provided. Overwhelmed, I collapse in tears, slumping down to the dirty floor, succumbing to unstoppable sobs. It's all my fault, I whimper after what seems like an eternity of me leaking tears and snot everywhere. Nobody's saying anything. In a sudden surge of anger, I wrap myself across the side of my head. I'm so stupid! The others stand there in continued silence, perhaps diverted from their shock by my emotional display. I refuse to look at them, convinced they must detest me by now. Why me? I rage. Why do I have to be so cursed? Why can't I just be like everyone else? I can only cry, crouch with my head in my arms. Then shoes appear by mine, and a hand lands on my shoulder. A reassuring caress attempts to coax me out of misery. Kale, Ellie says softly. I think she's crying too. I both welcome and resent the pity and support. I'm just so stupid, is all I can muster as I pull at the roots of my hair. Kale, stop, she says. You're the smartest person I know, adults included. Which is exactly my curse. I want to scream. But my energy is gone. You know you're great, Kale, chimes in Nick. You've just had a rough go. The last part rings true, and it touches me. Maybe I'm eager to grasp onto excuses, but my world has collapsed in epic fashion. More than a rough go, Ellie adds. I find myself receptive to their comfort, as childish as it may be to abandon my pain so easily. This is something new to me. This support, this encouragement. I should be excused if I fall for it so quickly. Yeah, dumbass, Fitch says flatly. You're an idiot if you think you're stupid. The abrupt interjection catches us all off guard. I look up enough to see Ellie and Nick shoot Fitch incredulous glares of admonishment. 
what? Fitch protests. He broke, like, science history or whatever. Can't call yourself stupid when you make Einstein your bitch like that. The compliments prompt me to make full eye contact with Nick and Ellie as we question what the hell got into Fitch. But he's not done. Of course, it is all his fault. Get your whining straight is all I'm saying. This has us all smile a bit. Typical Fitch. Just when you thought he might care about someone else, it's back to insults and being all about his moronic self. At least his antics have pulled me back to the surface. Come on, Kale, Ellie encourages. We can't undo what's happened, but we can help fix it. Yeah, go ahead and radio this one in, says Nick. I know it's kind of dumb, but I welcome the responsibility. Wiping my tears, I retrieve the radio attached at my hip and the list from my back pocket. I look at each of them for confirmation, and they all nod reassuringly. I find the right page and press the talk button. Unit 1, I say. Exhibit 16 is down. I still wouldn't say I feel good, but a sense of purpose, of contributing to the cause of fixing this mess, is a welcome one. I just hope by some miracle the danger can be contained. I call first dibs on a shower, Ellie declares on her way to the door. I've blacked out plenty before. This time, though, I'm more confused than usual. I'm surrounded by the unmistakable scent of disinfectant and the rhythmic hum and beeps of medical gadgets. This has happened before, but something feels extra wrong. I finally gather that a nurse is tending to me. Oh, great. What drunken stupidity did I do this time? Oh, good, you're awake, she exclaims. Her enthusiasm is grating. I move my lips, attempting to speak, but I fail to make more than a whisper of, What? Trying again, I muster a mostly broken attempt at, Where am I? Sir, you've had an accident, she says. You're in the hospital. Providence Portman Medical. You have cracked ribs, some scrapes, and a nasty concussion. Can you tell me your name? What? I start. An accident. Oh, God, did I hurt anyone? Was Kale in the... And then it hits me like a ton of bricks. The note, the billboard, flipping the pickup. Oh, God. Oh, holy hell. I didn't die, apparently. Another failure. No, no, no. This can't be. I can't be stuck here in Portman. You don't worry about a thing, sir, the nurse assures. You need to rest. All I need right now is your name. She studies me expectantly. Why is she asking my name? Does she know it and is testing my memory? Or does she not know? Was my ID lost? I can't be found here in town. They can't figure out who I am, or there will be a whole big thing of having to explain and having to talk to Kale, and no, it needs to be a clean break. Sir, can you tell me your name? She repeats. I have to get out of here before someone recognizes me. I'm nobody, I tell her. Well, 
We'll need to know your name and insurance before you're discharged, Mr. Nobody, she teases. She doesn't know my name. That's good. Oh, crap. The pickup. They'll be able to run the plates and identify me. And my wallet must be somewhere. Why don't they already know who I am? I consider asking the nurse what happened, but she beats me to it. A road crew found you in a ditch east of town five days ago, she informs. Do you know how you got there? The violent flipping of the pickup flashes in my mind. I must have been ejected from the vehicle before it hit the pond. Did the truck sink? It must have. Surely five days should have been enough for them to figure out who I am? Maybe I still have a chance to get out of town before they figure me out. Sir, do you remember what happened to you? She gently asks me again. I consider how to answer. Where to even begin if I wanted to explain? A darkly poetic yet truthful answer occurs to me. I glance up at her and dryly respond. I hit a deer. We hope you've enjoyed Cosmic Creatures, a Spark Media production. This program was directed and executive produced by H.G. Zeisler, featuring the voice talents of Adam Adagnostu as Kale Rhodes, Mike Kelly as Russell Rhodes, John Yonker as Dr. Elliot Hagen, and Luke Langfelt as Major Roggy. Text copyright 2022 by Jason Kent Nord. Illustrations including cover and episode art by Meredith Tuvey. Sound design by Dan Steffens. Story edits by Emily Nord and H.G. Zeisler. A special thanks to our founding Spark storytellers. Rest assured that no animals, cosmic or earthly, were harmed in the production of this episode. Enjoyed what you heard? Check out more Spark stories and find out more about Spark Media on our website, sparkmedia.com. That's S-P-R-Q-M-E-D-I-A.com. Or check us out on Instagram or Facebook at Spark Media. Links and episode notes. Interested in telling stories? Apply to be a Spark Storyteller today. We're looking for writers, editors, composers, voice talent, and more. It takes a village to tell a story, and we need you. Link in episode notes. Audio production copyright 2024 by Spark Media LLC. All rights reserved.